2: Survivor's back, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladaris. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: So today, um, a third of the internet was down for about an hour. Spotify, Discord, Snapchat, Etsy, all sort of sites were down. And they said it was because, like, the Google cloud thing was just like not working. And I, I, I didn't even wanna get into the details cause I don't know about you guys, but I used to think the, the internet was very impressive. Cause I used to think like the internet was like a magical thing. Like everyone would just be like, we're on the internet, the internet, what is the internet? It's just the internet, it's happening. But like more and more we're realizing the internet is just like, just like a really big desktop at Jeff Bezos' house, essentially. And then if he trips on a cord, we can't check our emails. That's what the internet is. We think it's cool, but it's like Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and then like, that's basically it. That's, that's the internet. It's in somebody's basement. They turn off the basement, your life is gone. Huh? No Spotify. Now you're out there, no music. People are out there today, just, just humming to themselves. Yeah, where's your playlist now, bitch? Cause the cloud, it's not the, also the cloud. The cloud also doesn't make it sound safe, right? When they go like, it's in the cloud. It's in like, the- what is a cloud? It's this thing that's in the sky that like just sometimes evaporates and disappears. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not there. That's where my information is. I remember when that shit first came out, they were like, everything of yours is in the cloud. Then I was like, even my d- pics. picks And then on like cloudy days, I'd look up and I'd be like, all right, I'm confident. And then the clouds would start parting and I'd be like, ah! All right, maybe it's in the other cloud, thank God. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that was close. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only
4: city in America. It's the Daily Show. Here's the Tonight, Russia
0: declares war on space. Thanksgiving is wrong.
3: And I wait, weigh. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and joining me for today's headlines is my good friend, Dulce Sloan. What's going on, Dulce? Hey, man, I'm still above the ground, baby. I like that. That's like, you know, before we used to say that just as a saying, yeah. but now it's like a real thing. Mm-hmm. You're, you're really above the ground. Truly.
4: I mean, like, I don't know how high we are, but we're not supposed to be up here.
3: We shouldn't. Like planes. Well, I mean. What? Good to have you. Thank you. All right, let's jump straight into today's headlines. Let's kick things off with a surprising new side effect of COVID-19. And this isn't a physical side effect like shortness of breath or loss of smell or mask ears where the elastic loops make me look like Obama's secret son. No, this is a side effect of how COVID has become a political football, or as Americans call it, a political soccer. But yeah, basically it turns out that once conservatives got angry about having to protect themselves from one disease, they decided to do it with other diseases as a matter of general principle,
5: New polls out suggest Republicans are much less likely to get a flu shot now than they were before the COVID pandemic. Several national polls say there was not much difference between the number of Republicans and Democrats getting a flu shot in the years before the coronavirus pandemic. However, Business Insider is reporting there's now a 20% gap between the members of the two political parties. About two thirds of Democrats say they have or plan to get a flu vaccination, while for Republicans, that number is less than 50%. Researchers say that indicates the political battle over the COVID vaccine is now affecting flu shots as well.
3: Yeah, that's right. Many Republicans have turned against the COVID vaccine so hard that now they're turning against the flu shots. And look, with the COVID vaccine, I get it, I get it. It was new, people didn't trust the technology, but guys, the flu shot has been around since forever. You can't decide now to hate it. It would be like if everyone suddenly decided to hate Betty White. I mean, we were all cool with her for 140 years. What changed? And if you ask me, this is a selfish decision because people who don't get the flu shot spread the infection to everyone. They sneeze into the air that we breathe. They grab the doorknobs that we grab. They touch the subway poles that the rest of us lick. It's disgusting. That's why I'm getting my flu shot for sure. Although I'm gonna space it out from my COVID shot. You know, I don't wanna have two shots close to each other. Otherwise, they're both gonna be there in my body at the same time. They might start a turf war. Shit starts popping off in my pancreas. Now it's in the crossfire. I don't want that shit. You know, trying to keep it safe in my body. It just really feels like we're moving to a place where all of science is gonna become partisan. That's what it feels like. And like in a few years, you're gonna hear news reports like Democrats are sticking by gravity, but many Republicans say they're not interested anymore. Polls show that up to 40% of Republicans are now floating off into space. (laughs) And now Dulce, over to you in the weather.
4: (laughs) It's not as warm as it should be because I got to wear a coat and put my toes away and I don't appreciate
1: it. I'm a summertime beach.
4: This this COVID flu thing is wild. Well, the only good thing about this is now if we don't want them to do things, we can just threaten to vaccinate them. What do you mean? Like if they try to storm the Capitol again, just be a bunch of cops being like, sir, if you come across that line, we will vaccinate you. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make us make this flu shit airborne. sir. Sir. Hold him down. Hit him in the neck. Ah! Like now you just got cops running around with needles? Just a bunch of rogue nurses out here trying to help the, like, just
3: trying to help the government? I think you've just stumbled upon the next wave of American law enforcement. This is actually pretty good. Get him. (laughs) All right, let's move on. Let's move on from the war on science to the war in outer space. Because yesterday, Russia woke up and decided to make things much more dangerous up there than it needs to be. Now to a conflict in space. The U.S. is slamming Russia for carrying out a missile test that created a serious amount of dangerous space debris, which could remain in orbit for decades, threatening space travel even.
0: This morning, outrage from U.S. officials after Russia carried out a missile test early Monday, firing an anti-satellite missile into space, obliterating one of its own satellites, and creating a vast debris field that's now orbiting Earth. Some of that debris coming dangerously close to the International Space Station, which is currently carrying four U.S. astronauts. The crew sheltering for more than two hours until they were finally given the green light. Secretary of State Antony Blinken slamming the Russian missile test, calling it dangerous and irresponsible, and adding that the debris will remain a threat for
3: decades. Yeah, Russia blew up a satellite with a rocket. And guys, I keep saying this, but these gender reveals are getting out of hand. But for real though, I don't understand why Russia blew up their own satellites. I mean, maybe it was announcing that it was running against Putin, who knows, but, but there's gotta be a better way to do this. I mean, if you wanna get rid of something, you just do what New Yorkers do, drag it to the sidewalk and leave a big free sign on it, you know? But people blowing it up, so it sends lethal debris shooting around in orbit, that's unacceptable, guys. And if you ask me, someone needs to stand up to Russia. Like, Maybe America should start some sort of force to like defend space, you know? What's that? Oh, it did. Ah, and I called it the most pointless thing since Trump created Don Jr.? Nah, that doesn't sound like me. All right, thank you, thank you. Well, look, man, this is one thing I love about America. America would never launch a missile at a satellite. I mean, they, they tried, but it accidentally hit a wedding in Syria. But the point is, they didn't hit the satellites. All right, let's move on to a threat that is closer to earth. Vigilante white dudes. Boo! Yesterday, the arguments at the Kyle Rittenhouse trial wrapped up and now the jury has to decide whether he'll go to prison or become Trump's running mate in 2024. Meanwhile, down in Georgia, they've begun the murder trial for the three men charged with chasing down and killing Ahmad Arbery last year. Now, for obvious reasons, this trial is getting a lot of national attention, but the lawyer for one of the defendants, well, he seems to have a big problem with who is paying attention.
2: An explosive morning in the trial of the three men accused of murdering Ahmaud Arbery with a still smoldering racially charged debate spurred on by defense attorneys over black pastors in the courtroom. Defense attorney Kevin Goff objecting to Reverend Jesse Jackson's presence in the gallery. How many pastors does the Arbery family have? Um, We had the Reverend Al Sharpton here earlier uh, last week. Which pastor is next? Is Raphael Warnock going to be the next person appearing this afternoon? We don't know. With all due respect, Your Honor, the seats in the public gallery of a courtroom are not like courtside seats at a Lakers game.
3: Hmm. All right, first of all, of course this trial is not like a Lakers game. All right, the jury has 11 white people and only one black guy. That's basically the opposite of any basketball team. And secondly, I'm not saying that this guy is racist, but when you're representing a guy who killed a black man just for jogging in the wrong neighborhood. It's not a great look to be pointing into the gallery and going, hey, this black guy doesn't belong here. We should do something about that. Come on, Jasper, you want to do it again? And thirdly, black pastors have been supporting families in need from the beginning of time. Why are you shocked by this? they show up for everything, whether it's kids killed in gang violence, or whether it's a civil rights issue, it doesn't matter what it is, they'll show up. Hell, if you need them, they'll even show up for emotional support at your kid's spelling bee. Lord Jesus, please show this dumb little kid how to spell platypus. His family's been through enough. Mm,
4: amen and amen. What I'm confused about, listen, I grew up in Georgia. Everybody is a pastor. Um, everybody's a pastor. What are you talking about that you don't want pastors here? Everybody in Georgia's a pastor. Also, how am I supposed to trust a Southern white man that don't want the Lord in the room? (laughs) You don't want one of God's servants. Yeah, you're right. I don't get it. It'd be different if, like, Jesse Jackson was in there taking up a collection for a building fund. So they're not taking up a collection. It's not like they're in there preaching. So you're saying it could have been worse? It could have been way worse. They could have brought a whole choir in there with them. Because if I'm a black pastor coming to that trial... I'm bringing in a whole black. I'm bringing in a whole choir in tambourines and tambourines. They're going, they guilty, they guilty. That's what I'm doing if I'm a black pastor down there. I'm bringing a choir in and being like, George, tell your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor, this man is guilty. Woo, yeah. I would start a sermon every time I walked into the place. They're just sitting there being quiet. It's a. Pu- he said it's a public gallery. Yes. They are the public. Anybody can show up. You can go.
3: All right, and finally, yesterday, President Biden held a ceremony on the White House lawn, along with Democrats and Republicans from Congress. And they were doing this to finally sign his big infrastructure bill. And guys, I I, I really am confused about why they have to sign the bill in public. I mean, I know it's important legislation, but as a spectator sport, it's pretty boring, you know? Like, where's the drama? You know, ooh, maybe the pen will run out of ink. F- out of here, man. Also, why are they even having a bill signing celebration? Passing laws is their job. Nobody else gets to do that at their job. Like after you make photocopies for your boss at the office, you don't get to pose for pictures while shaking hands. <laughs> 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 I didn't think you could get it double-sided. Well done, Billy, well done. But look, I do get why lawmakers are excited about this. It's the biggest investment America has made in itself in decades. And there's also some smaller things in this bill that might do a lot of good. How to stop drunk drivers before they even put the car into gear? It has been talked about for decades, but now, thanks to the infrastructure bill passed by Congress last week, It could finally happen.
1: It includes a mandate for automakers that all new cars must use technology that prevents drunken people from driving. It will be as standard as airbags. The US Transportation Department will decide the type of technology that will be required. It's estimated 9,400 lives will be saved every year. The drunk or otherwise impaired driver will get in their car and it either won't start, won't move, or will pull itself over depending on what technology is selected. The sober driver will get in their car and never even know it's there. All
3: right, I think we can all agree, this is an amazing law. First of all, because it'll hopefully save lives. And secondly, because some people will be so drunk, they won't even know that the car hasn't started. You realize that, right? He's gonna get in and be like, get out of the way, get out of the way. All right, I'm home now. Wow, my home looks just like the bar. All right, guess it's time for round two. And I know some people are asking, How will they develop technology to determine if someone is drunk? What does that mean? Guys, we already have that technology. It's called a karaoke machine. No, but for real, no one is sure what technology they'll actually use to detect if you're drunk driving. It could be something that tracks if your eyes stay open or if you're swerving out of your lane or if you're just trying to get to a Taco Bell. Uh, I just hope it's not a breathalyzer. That's the one thing I hope. I don't want a breathalyzer hooked to the dashboard because I'm sorry, I'm not trying to give my car every time I want to go somewhere. (laughs) No, I want to save that for special occasions, you know, like our anniversary or a Toyota-thon. There is one huge loophole in this law though, and that is it only needs to be available in new cars. Yeah. I mean, that's still good, but it means if someone really likes drunk driving, all they got to do is drive an old car. In fact, at some point, we're probably going to be able to tell who's committed to drunk driving because it's going to be like 2060 and they'll still be driving a Kia Sorento from 2005. Yeah, you just can't give this baby up, man. You know me; I love vintage cars. <laughs> yeah,
4: just have like better friends. Like having some. Like, you've never had to take your key, like your friend's keys, before. I mean, I know you have very classy, very you know, sophisticated, you know, Emmy no, no, no. no. With I, I know.
3: What, that's, but, that's an interesting point. So you're saying the best technology is friends.
4: Yes. Like the number of times I have stopped somebody from driving home, also we have Uber, we have Lyft, we have Teslas. Like you can just send somebody a Tesla, put in the address, you even got to drive the car to like, get every bar a Tesla. You can put in the address, (laughs) and then just send their drunk ass home. (laughs) Thing. Also, people are just assholes. Like, I don't even think it's. They just want to have a good time, friend. Because, like, this is when we need these Karens to activate. You out here calling the cops on somebody in a damn Victoria's Secret. No, bitch, you need to be out here at this Buffalo Wild Wings getting your uncle and your daddy. That's what you need to be doing.
3: That's the new technology.
4: Yeah, like, activate these Karens. Look, they out here. We just need to release them, like, just, you know, frumpy doves and, like, really just help people.
3: We just aim Karens in the right direction.
4: Yes! Like, y'all stay wanting to call the cops on somebody. So instead of calling the cops and getting black people murdered, maybe y'all should call the cops and stop these drunk dudes from killing people.
3: We just put Karens in the parking lot. <laughs> Yo, but still, this, this is a big victory. It's a big victory for safe driving and for organizations like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Unfortunately, though, it has generated some criticism from the opposing side.
4: In response to recent legislation, Drunks for Drunk Driving has issued the following statement.
3: Come on, man, we don't need
0: our cars telling us when we allowed to drive. You a car, bitch, hush.
1: Hey, asshole, this is some nanny state bullshit, okay? Don't tread on me, just, just you can't handle your drink. Hmm? We just gotta be
0: cool about this, baby. Tolerances all over the place. Like me. You know me, baby. After a couple drinks, I'm fine to die. Dream. Drive. Got
2: it. This law, man. <sighs> hey, did you see that video of that dog? You know the one? He's got glasses on. It's it's so funny. He's like furry and brown. Wait, hang on, let me sh- let me show. You. I'll show you. I'll show you.
1: My car tells me I can't drive? I'm gonna f- it up. Yeah, I'll fight a car, cause this is America. If you know you're drunk, you
0: drive better. But I'm not <laughs> drunk.
1: How's a car gonna know if I'm drunk, huh? Is some kind of night Rider car? Some kind of David Hassahoff, huh? <laughs> oh God, I miss that show.
5: miss Jeremy.
2: Let's go, I got my keys. Oh, I got, oh. <laughs> What? No, no, I can drive. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I, I I just had a power nap. How did I get here?
4: I am responsible, Jeremy. <laughs> Take me back. This has been a message from DFDD. Take us back, Jeremy.
3: <laughs> All right. When we come back, Ronnie Chang fights with you about Thanksgiving. You don't want to miss it.
1: Jump into the epic world of Avatar The Last Airbender with
0: Nickelodeon's official companion podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted
1: by me, Janet Varney, And me,
0: Dante Bosco. Listen to Avatar, Braving the Elements on Apple
1: Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Welcome back to The Daily Show. There is so much arguing in America today, but we here at The Daily Show, well, we think that there could be even more. So to do our
2: part, here's Ronnie Chang with another installment of prove me wrong. Thanksgiving is coming and everyone's arguing about CDC guidelines or pilgrims being problematic. But what about the non-political Thanksgiving issues? For those, I'm here to argue with random strangers on the street and prove me wrong. Thanksgiving edition. Thanksgiving is the worst holiday. I said it. I said it. No! Why, what do you mean no? Why, Family
4: Ow. gets together Oh, it's, it's, it's all grateful. It
2: already sounds terrible. But it's
4: fun peeling vegetables with, with family. Family, We, it was, we do it yeah. together. We're
2: peeling vegetables? That's your big argument? It's not the worst holiday because Columbus Day is a holiday. So there are worse. Wait, so you actually genuinely have a good time at Thanksgiving? I do have a great time. Just how much weed do you guys smoke during Thanksgiving to get through it? <laughs> Depends how much extended family is there. (laughs) So what is the worst holiday? I have
1: to say, and God forgive me, I'm Irish, but St. Patrick's Day can be really brutal in the city. St.
2: Patrick's Day is amazing, because on Thanksgiving, people get mad if you get blackout drunk. <laughs> you gotta travel, which is terrible on Thanksgiving. You don't because have to it's travel. True. Well, okay. Haven't it, you heard of Zoom? Okay. Oh man, after two years of Zooming nonstop, I would love to Zoom on my day off with my family. That sounds amazing. It's supposed to be one peaceful day about being thankful, you know? Being thankful for like,
1: your family. <sighs> <laughs> Did you not receive love as a child? <laughs> yeah, that's
2: another thing to bring up with family during the holidays, whether we receive enough love as a child. Did you? Yo, this is starting to feel a little bit like therapy, okay? So just so you know, I'm not paying you for this. All shoes should have buckles, prove me wrong.
5: Uh, I think shoes should just, you know, not have buckles or laces or...
2: Well, let's look at what the f- you're wearing, wait. Are you wearing dress Crocs? Look, pilgrims, got a lot of stuff wrong. Genocide, not great. Turkey, could've picked a better animal to eat. But buckles, Dude, they nailed it, first time, boom. Okay, buckles aren't appropriate for every occasion. Like what? Uh, If you're gonna hit the beach, you gotta pop on some flip flop Pilgrims landed on the beach <laughs> with buckles. But don't you want your feet to like breathe, be open? No, I don't need people's feet to breathe. I'm not Quentin Tarantino. They'll make shoes more expensive. Sure, but isn't part of the appeal of footwear that they are expensive as f-? That's Nike built a goddamn empire based on that. But speaking of Nike, a lot of shoes they sell come with Velcro straps, not buckles. Yeah. I feel like that's more convenient. If you're a goddamn child, then yeah, get some get some Velcro. But if you're an adult, put on a buckle, like an adult. Pumpkin pie should replace apple pie as a year round pie, prove me wrong. Pumpkin pie has no taste. What the f-? Have you never eaten it's pumpkin It's got no pie? taste, dude. What? Have it's you- a squash. Okay, first of all, that's racist. If
1: you think it tastes better, then wouldn't that make it more special to only eat it once a year? This is America.
2: When you like something,
1: you do it
2: every day until you get sick of it. And then you do it some more.
1: Technically, with hedonic adaptation, if you do it less often, then, like, you get to experience the full pleasure of it.
2: Oh man, I feel like I just ate some turkey. Okay, Mr. Pilgrim, first of all, when you go to Mom's house, you don't sit down and she give you a pumpkin pie. She gives you a slice of apple pie. You tell me why you would mess with America and you would mess with moms? Yo, hey, you talking about moms? Yes. I'm trying to help moms yes. here. It's way easier to make pumpkin pie than apple pie. Just open a can and dump that shit in. That's you what you do,
0: look at that.
4: You, yeah. you, you
2: dis- desecrating a mother yeah. again,
0: opening
4: Love
2: cans. Those are the second-rate moms. Oh, Wow, now no. you're hating moms now. No, I, this I'm not hating, I'm actually,
4: I'm this person actually hates moms. loving moms.
2: This person hates moms. <laughs> I
4: told, only a dad would,
2: would recommend that. You must be a dad. Hey, that's never been proven in court. <laughs>
1: Apple has more variety, like you can play around with it. You know, pumpkins just aren't as varied, so you get sick of it sooner.
2: That's also an argument in favor of how complicated apple pies are. You have to like pick an apple, there's like 50 different varieties.
1: You have to pick a pumpkin too. No, there's
2: only one pumpkin. There's no red delicious pumpkin. Kabocha. What? Kabocha. Japanese pumpkins. No, that's a squash. Stop trying to take away my pumpkin pie. I don't want squash pie. I want pumpkin pie. Yeah, you're instigating the crowd now. People getting mad at you because you're wrong. I'm you're not wrong. wrong, I have psychology on my side. You're wrong. we well, are gonna start a fight in Union Square about this right now? Pumpkin, pumpkin. When your kid comes home from school
4: or whatever, then you say, oh, a pumpkin a day keeps the doctor away. No, that's stupid. That's just stupid. You can't do that. You give him an apple. Yeah, but it's I don't a give Johnny my copy. kid
2: apples. Pie to make him live longer.
4: Nobody likes pumpkin pie. It doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't make you feel homey. It just doesn't, it doesn't do anything for you. It's just a piece of crap. Well, that's why you can only have it once a year.
2: Well, I guess you win, and so you know what that means.
4: I get the hat too?
2: Yeah. Be careful, you wish for lots of dumb people come here and argue with. You. Thank you so much for that, Ronnie.
3: All right, when we come back, one of the world's most important living artists will discuss his new memoir about creating art when it is not safe. So don't go away.
0: Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Listen to Avatar, Braving the Elements on Apple Podcasts.
1: Or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is Ai Weiwei, an activist and one of the world's most important living artists. He's here to talk about his new memoir, 1,000 Years of Joys and Sorrows. Ai Weiwei, welcome to The Daily Show. Hi. Um, I'm not exaggerating when I say you might be one of the coolest human beings I've ever spoken to who has also lived one of the hardest lives I've ever come across. Because, you know, when I started reading this book, I thought it would just be a memoir of your life. Then I realized it was a memoir, really, of your father's life. It was his biography. And then it was also a story of China and the last 100 years. So maybe you can help me understand that.
5: Why? Well, I'm often being asked why you become you. So when I was in detention in 2011, I asked the same question, why I become an enemy of the state? Hmm. So then the, the direct uh, response of the memories, my father was arrested 80 years ago, been put in jail for six years. So we, are, we have been crime um, accused as the same crime, but in very different political government. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, without understanding my father's uh, time and his struggle, and which is about China, about uh, the political situation, the cultural background of China, right. I never really can clearly indicate what I've been through. It really is a, a powerful account of what you've been through and
3: you know in your story what, what i found fascinating is it appears to me that you have a love for china that is always in your heart but you do not have that same love for the political system in china or for you know how the government
5: treats people is is,
3: is that correct in my assumption of how i read the book
5: uh, i think uh, you made a clear i think clear response on um, what has been I have been doing? Uh, yes, I'm Chinese. Uh, you know, China is uh, is um, it matters today. Maybe. You know, it's 1.4 billion people. But same time, we are under a system which uh, really struggle uh, in every sense, politically and uh, human rights, freedom of speech in almost every area. Um, topic. Right. It really struggles. So how should I put myself, mm. my, my personal life into this uh, large context? It's, uh, it's why I have to write this book to figure it out.
3: Were you never afraid, though, as, as somebody who has been detained by the Chinese government? I mean, on multiple occasions, it, it, it appeared that your life would be in danger. You were told so many times not to go up against the government, and yet repeatedly you did. Is, is there no fear in you? Is that what it is?
5: Or I, how, do you, how do you keep on pressing? I do have a fear, but that fear would come from uh, if I don't speak out. Simply, there's no person whose name is Ai Weiwei, and uh, you know, I will be silent as anybody else. Mm-hmm. So that is not uh, responsible to life itself. We, we always want to speak out our mind. Right. One of your biggest fans, from
3: what I, from what I read in the book, um, is your son. You know, he sounds amazing. One of the passages in the book that's really gripping is where you were detained for the 81 days. You were taken away and you asked him, you say to him, how does it feel, knowing how did he feel knowing that you have been taken away. And he said, it's not a big deal. All the government did was advertise for you and they've made you even cooler. What do you think
5: it is about your son and how he processes what's happening in the world? I try not to touch him that much. You know, I, I don't want to teach him. I don't want to give my lesson to him. Interesting. I think it's not necessary for him to learn what happens to me. But he has this perspective. He said, way, wait, I, I figured out uh, the one being chased uh, would make the same kind of effort uh, as someone chasing him mm. because you both are running. So I think there's a beauty in there. He would always think about on both sides, you know, to say why uh, power, power has to uh, see the, the people or the mass the way, or why they have to treat them mm-hmm. that way, mm-hmm. because they are, they are afraid are, are, are afraid of this kind of majority, and, and he, he always have this kind of intelligence, so I, I think uh, somehow he just got it. It
3: it feels like your art has has a has a feeling of resistance to it. You know, when you're shattering a jar, when you're breaking something. It, it feels like is, is it a rage that, that you're trying to put through? Is it a defiance? What, what 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 is it that's coming across that maybe is different to what you meet when you meet the man? Uh
5: and well it's when I talk about my fight or my struggle, or even my artworks, it's not really about me, but rather about uh, the value I defend. Mm. I think the value are shared by everybody, uh, mostly for the people who have no chance to speak out, and uh, they would uh, live their life in, in dark for generations. You know, They have no way to, to see the justice ever being presented. So that always gets me angry, and uh, but I still I, I know, uh, you know, that's just some kind of emotion. I have to control it. right? Because uh, as an individual, that is not uh, much you can do. But as an artist, you can find uh, a language or vocabulary which can reach out. Uh, sometimes it's successful. Recently, the Holocaust Museum
3: Uh, declared the um, treatment of Uyghurs in China as genocide. Many world nations are afraid to say or or try and keep their distance on labeling anything that's happening. But I guess my question has two parts to it. One, do you agree with what is happening to the Uyghurs being referred to as genocide? And two, do you think that helps or hinders the conversation in trying to, to get these people liberated and to get them treated equally?
5: I I think, first, uh, genocide is a a term Chinese are not very familiar with. They're not only doing to Uyghurs, they have been doing that to Tibetans, to Inner Mongolia people. Basically, the communist society has been doing this kind of re-education and brainwash to anybody to my father from, you know, I grew up with uh, my father in the same location as we were people today. And uh, they clearly tell us that it's a re-education camp. Right. So that only being brought to the world uh, view uh, in recent years, but that, that's why they they don't understand why now being Uh, really burned up as an issue. But uh, the communists always doing that. And uh, to their own people, to, you know, so-called Han people, and uh, to other minorities.
3: A thousand years of joys and sorrows. What are some of the joys, and and maybe tied to that, what are some of your hopes for China going forward?
5: (laughs) The joys will be, I always think uh, when there's uh, obstacles, there will be some kind of humor and joy and they always offer me this difficult moment. So I have to rethink about my language, my strategy, how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. That is, in most cases, is uh, quite humorous and uh, joyful until they put you in absolute uh, severe condition like uh, kidnapping or or under some kind of brutal uh, situation. And uh, for China, I think uh, they, are, they are developing very fast. No, nobody can ignore China. Right. But uh, at the same time, they are in certain areas, they are quite blind. Mm. First, they still cannot solve the, the legitimacy of the power. Mm-hmm. They never let their people, which is 1.4 billion people, to see what a voting ticket is like. Mm-hmm. So that means two things. One, they don't trust those people. And the second, they don't have self-confidence <laughs> to, 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 to be in power as a legitimate government. So once that is not solved, there will be constantly struggle to clean out any oppositions. And, uh, I don't think
3: they can solve that. Huh. And as your son says, the person who's is chasing is running just as fast as the person they're chasing. That's I, the Weiwei. game. Yeah, that is the game. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's, it's so an nice. absolute pleasure meeting you and having you here. Very pleasant to meet you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Don't forget, people, Weiwei's memoir, One Thousand Years of Joys and Sorrows, is available right now. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this.
1: Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney, the voice of Korra on The Legend of Korra. And me,
0: Dante Bosco, the voice of Zuko on The Last Airbender and General Iroh on The Legend of Korra. Each week, we'll recap and discuss another episode of The Last Airbender.
2: I don't know if we've ever
1: talked about it, but... Amazing guests stop by, from creators to cast to super fans to chat all things Avatarverse. Are we
3: saying that this is possible in the
1: Avatar
0: universe? Varney, we gotta spread the word.
1: Now fans can also check out our weekly
0: video pods, too, by subscribing to the official Avatar YouTube channel.
1: That's a lot of fire, isn't it? That's right! We're on video this season, everybody! So, whether you're a super fan with... Encyclopedic knowledge, or you're brand new to this incredible world.
0: It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements on Apple Podcasts
1: or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, please consider supporting Urban Growers Collective. They're a black and woman led nonprofit farm in Chicago that provides the city's most vulnerable with healthy, healing food and they offer education and advocacy for urban agriculture. So if you want to support them in their work this Thanksgiving, then please donate at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if you can't afford space travel, you can just recreate the experience at home. Yeah, just run through a pile of trash. Now you're in space. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central
2: on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount Plus. Survivor's back, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist a new co host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladaris. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This has been a Comedy Central podcast.